What a weekend it was for the Pacers. Two wins, two key ones. They've won three in a row. They got contributions from everybody. Andrew Nemhard looked great. Obi Toppin hit a game winner. They're back seven games over 500. We have so much to talk about on today's Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, y'all? Happy Monday. Hope you had a great weekend, and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today, my voice is fading. I was in a wedding this weekend. We'll see. (laughs) We'll see how it goes. It's going to be great. There's a lot to talk about. Great Pacers weekend of basketball. Two wins. What a homestand. I mean, not to overdo this, but... They had Denver, Phoenix, Philly, and Memphis in town. And people are clowning Memphis, and they should. That team's down eight guys. But they'd won three in a row when they came into Indy. Tough homestand. No Halliburton. And the Pacers go three and one. And they were winning late against Denver. Really good stuff. Sweeping the weekend. Good win against Phoenix. They survived Devin Booker. Great win over Memphis. They played awful and won. That has been rare for the Pacers, not awful. They played an ugly game in one, which has been rare for the Pacers this season. We have lots to talk about. Good key performances, how they got this done, what it means going forward, where Halliburton's at. I met three listeners this weekend in various places at a wedding at the game on Sunday. Nick, Michael, Evan, hello. Thank you for tuning in and saying hi to me. Let's start with the Memphis game. That one happened most recently. 116-110 final score. Starting with the final score. A rarity. For me, it was such a strange game because I tweeted right after the game, what an ugly win for the Pacers, right? Ugly game, yuck, gross. And someone rightly replied to me and said, what was ugly about this this game for the Pacers, right? They didn't turn it over very much. They only had 10 of them in the game. That's great. They did well in the offensive glass. They got 11 of those. They were efficient from the foul line. They shot pretty well from deep. 31 assists. A lot of stats say pretty clean game for the Pacers. But this one was weird because this is the new look Grizzlies. The new look Grizzlies guck it up. It's physical. They hit you hard. Guys you haven't seen very much play in the NBA are just really physical all night. And so there's no, there was no rhythm to the game. That's why it felt like an ugly game is, especially early when the team started one for 10 from deep, it just felt like every bucket was so earned, right, for both teams throughout this game, and so there were stretches for both teams. Again, there were a lot of lead changes in this game, seven of them. The game was tied 10 times, right? There was only one really long run, and the Pacers are fortunate that uh, it was the, it was them who was able to, to have more of them. But that led to a stylistically ugly game, which is not to say the Pacers played poorly, but they did have to struggle with this Memphis team, and physical games like this have not been a forte for this Pacers team this season. The in-season tournament finals, to me, are... The highlight of that list, but both Orlando games were they're going to pound you to death and the Pacers weren't ready for it, right? They got completely stomped in that game. For example, there are a bunch that the Pacers obviously would like back um, that kind of meet that bill. Those ones stand out to me. The Utah kicked their butt. Uh, The Clippers were physical with them. Minnesota's physical with everybody. Like These are some of their biggest losses of the season. And this one meets that category. But... The Pacers were more prepared for it, I thought, in this one, right? They hit back. Siakam, for example, was a big part of this. And Rick Carlisle credited him for this after the game. He was an answer for Jaron Jackson Jr. Like in the preseason, 
It was a huge story. First podcast of an actual game talking about this version of the Pacers this year. Jaron Jackson cooking the Pacers, mainly Obi Toppin, but lots of guys throughout that preseason game. Pascal Siakam did a better job on him, including the game ceiling stop with about 30 seconds left of the Pacers up four. Jaron Jackson, seven for 17 from the field, though he did live at the foul line. That was one of the ugly things the Pacers overcame is they figured out a better way to gook it up for the Grizzlies in ways that they sometimes haven't been against some of these teams with size. They were able to rebound pretty well. Pacers get 44 of them, only losing that by one. Jalen Smith was great on the glass. The Pacers didn't have Miles Turner in this game or Tyrese Halliburton. Siakam hit the glass. Neesmith with seven himself, seven for Matherin. Seven for Isaiah Jackson in under 14 minutes. That was really important. They can't lose the possession battle against the Grizzlies, who are notorious for being the possession battle team. Right, That was kind of the thing that really, when they got the talent, helped them take off. And so in a game where the Pacers weren't, this is not a style they usually are able to win, they were able to find enough advantages to physical back. <laughs> this is a, a very poor way of of using the correct words here. But what I'm saying is what you saw is the Pacers ready for that in a way that they have not been all season. And that's why I said this game was ugly because the shooting was poor early in the game. The rhythm of the game was never there. There was only two runs for the Pacers. The end of the first half and then end of third, early fourth, the Pacers had three highlight plays that got the building into it for the first time. Other than that, back and forth, stoppages, fouls, yuck. It just never got going. And I usually that type of game, again, from a Pacers team that wants to play fast, wants to get up and down, doesn't want to stop, doesn't want to go get at the ball out of bounds, all that kind of stuff, that hurts them. But in this one, they found a way to win, and they found a way to match what Memphis was doing. But the other part that this speaks to to me is, uh, and I, I will give the caveat that Memphis's offensive personnel right now is terrible. You know, their, leading, their second leading scorer was Vince Williams in this game, but... The Pacers' defense has been much better for the last month-plus-ish of the season. We'll talk about Friday's game where it wasn't in a second. But in, now, in these games like this, where it's slower and uglier and hard, you have to work harder for your points, right? I think it's significant that the Pacers can still get stops and not have to rely on their offense to just be so dynamic all the time. And so, yes... At their best stretches, Ben Matherin was a fantastic offensive threat. He was amazing in the first half. They were able to find other ways to get it done. Their defense was significant in this game. Some shout-outs, to use a lockdown heat term, some credit cookies for the Pacers in this game. 5 for 14 is not going to jump out at you, but Andrew Nemhard was really good. Really good, and he needed to be. They did not have Tyrese Halliburton. He's still dealing with that hamstring injury. We'll see when he can return. I'll have more for that tomorrow, I presume. Uh but they also have T.J. McConnell, who's dealing with an issue at, at home. Rick Carlisle told us before the game. So Nemhard was the only point guard available. He played 37 minutes and 18 seconds in this game. Uh, that was uh, a season high. The other one was the Orlando game, where he was also you know, one of the only point guards available. He's only been over 30 minutes three times before this game. Season high in minutes. They needed him for all of it. They like staggered him in such a weird way so he could be always at full speed. Nine assists. Only one turnover, which has been a huge problem for him this season. 16-9, and nine, hit two threes, defended really well, four boards, one steal. Really good Andrew Nemhard game. The Pacers needed that. I felt like he's looked more comfortable recently, especially with the assist numbers. If he can get the turnovers down, you're going to see a lot more effectiveness from him, and you saw that in this game with just the one. He deserves a ton of credit you know, for being able to fill in that much and that well. The Pacers needed it, and they got it. Uh, the backups were Ben Shepard and Buddy Heald, who... 
weren't necessarily setting anything up all that well. Buddy Heald had three assists. He's actually been passing better this season, but they also were stable enough for the Pacers to survive those minutes. And Ben Matherin deserves a ton of credit cookies as well. I kind of like this term. Um, he got the Pacers off the ground. The Grizzlies cooking the game up and playing the way they've been playing these last you know, 10 games without all their guys has been working, and it was working early in this game. Grizzlies were ahead. They were winning at the end of the first quarter. Their game flow was really favorable for them. They got up to almost a seven-point lead, almost a ten-point lead in the first quarter. And then Ben Matherin really hit a stride. He was the guy who got the Pacers out of their funk and started attacking the lane and really getting a defense in rotation. And so he had seven points in the second quarter without missing a shot or a free throw. And in the first quarter, he was equally good with 12 points, although he wasn't getting as many free throws there, and three boards. So he had 19 at halftime. He had 10 really quick in a row, and he got to 19 fast. But the key part of it was it was a big run that broke up the rhythm of the game, right? Gigi Jackson hit a three for the Grizzlies early uh, in the second quarter, and that put the Grizzlies up by seven. And all of a sudden, Matherin starts going crazy. He had two free throws. He had a pull-up three. He got to the basket. He had a pull-up jumper. And when he hit the pull-up jumper, it was 37-33. And the Pacers had just regained the lead. Remember, they were down eight early in the quarter. When that shot went in to give them the lead, there was 7.29 to go. So in four and a half minutes, the Pacers erased that lead and, and had their own decent lead. And Matherin had 19 points. Why is that so significant to me? Because he had over half of the Pacers' points at that time of the game. That's how huge he was early in this one. He settled in and only finished with 24. But when they come, to, or the total doesn't matter. When they come or how they come doesn't matter. The fact that he was able to get the Pacers out of an offensive funk was significant. They got enough from Siakam, 19 on 13 shots. Jalen Smith was really good. We'll talk about him a lot in the Suns game. He had 19 and 10 filling in for an injured Miles Turner. Neesmith was really good, career-high six assists. But the two standouts to me were the 2022 draftees, Benedict Mather and Andrew Nemhard, stepping up when the Pacers needed him, leading the Pacers through a yucky game, and that was win number three in a row for the Pacers. And man, could you not have had more opposite games this weekend for the Pacers. They beat the Suns on Friday night, with Booker having a fantastic outing. Devin Booker, 62 points. Pacers down 17 at one point to the red-hot Phoenix Suns. And they won. How did they get it done? How did they survive Booker's point total? We'll explain it all in segment two here on the Locked On Pacers podcast. But first... We have to talk about two lovely groups of people. First up, the great people over at eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophies. Also, what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whatever you're into, speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you will always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay's guaranteed fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need, prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home the win on eBay Motors. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. eBay guaranteed fit only. Available to U.S. customers. We also must talk about FanDuel. Happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Chiefs, 49ers, Brock Purdy, Tyrese Halbert, and good friends. going to be a blast. If you, like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best in the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some bets, verbally for me, but still, 
FanDuel is the place to go for that. The game, the food, the commercials, you can chime right in. At the same time, then hop right over and do what you want to do on FanDuel. They have so many ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three. Not only can you bet on who will win the Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. New customers join today, and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if you your bet, first bet of $5, excuse me, or more wins. So that's $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up and get that offer. Again, that's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook of the NFL. Back here on Lockdown Pacers. Thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day. Check out Lockdown Bucks for the latest on the team that now has Doc Rivers as the head coach and probably the most surprising move of last week or any of the shows that host uh, the team that had a 60-plus point score. My words are all over the place. Carly Lee Towns had 60-plus for Minnesota. Doncic with 73 for Dallas. Embiid with 70 for Phoenix. Or excuse me, I'm thinking ahead. For Philly... Any of those shows will be awesome. And Locked on Suns, you can hear Brandon Clean talk about Devin Booker, 62 points in defeat to the Indiana Pacers on Friday night. The most points scored in Indianapolis by an NBA player, Devin Booker. Crazy performance. Absolutely ridiculous. We'll talk about that as we talk about this game. I mean, okay, so so, uh, let me tell you a story about this game to kind of describe how impressive the Pacers close to this game was. So I was, I I don't want to talk about this too much, but I was at a wedding this weekend, so I couldn't watch it. I was in a rehearsal dinner Friday night, but I had to get there like an hour after the Pacers game started. So I had time to start the game. So I watched the first 10 minutes of the game. I think Devin Booker had 19 points. 10 points of real or 10 minutes of real lifetime, right? So I have, I have a couple people who I ask to text me during games I can't watch if the, in case there's an injury, big news, something like that. And they texted me after I left, and I thought, uh oh, there's been an injury. The first text said, Devin Booker, 29 points, first quarter, 29 points in one quarter. It was ridiculous. I have now watched since watched the game. I mean, he hit every pull-up jumper. He got to the rim. He got to the mid. It was ridiculous. No one could guard him. Aaron Neesmith couldn't guard him. Andrew Nemhard couldn't guard him. Nobody. I mean, duh. He had 62 points in the game. But absolutely nobody could guard him. The matchup data, if you pull him up, is just complete comedy. He just buried shots in everybody's face. 8 for 14 on Neesmith. 3 for 4 on Nemhard. 3 for 4 on Siakam. 3 for 5 on Jalen Smith. 3 for 4 on Mather. It didn't matter. But either way, you get to just 29 points in the first quarter. Devin Booker. He reached 50 points in the game before the third quarter ended. Insane, right? He was having a phenomenal game. And I have to tell you the story now of I didn't get to watch the whole game. I knew the score, though, right? I have uh, someone tweeted at me. I, I saw it. It doesn't matter. I don't care if the results spoil. I'm going to watch it anyway. But uh, I went back to actually watch it earlier today before this recording. And the one point in this game that the Pacers won, there were, I'm going to pull it up exactly, 122 to 129 was the score of the game with like two minutes to go. The Suns were up by seven. And I knew Devin Booker had a gajillion points. And I kind of thought, is this a prank? Like, did they actually lose? And somehow this whole time I've just been in on a joke. There were three minutes to go. They were down by seven. Pacers, perfect in that stretch. Stops. They made Booker miss. They made Beal miss. They made Durant miss. They made Booker miss again. They were still down four after all that. All they got in that time was some free throws. But they were playing great defense. 
force a Grayson Allen turnover, force a Durant miss, force another Durant miss. Now there's a minute to go, and they're tied at 129. Nem hard scored in that stretch twice. He was really good down the stretch. He didn't hit the game winner, so not as heralded, but Nem hard was really good there. What awesome defense from the Pacers, who all game long have had just nothing they can do. Booker can't miss. Durant had a quiet 20, but he is a threat. Brad Beal got going after an injury in the game. And so they they just were awesome on defense. Tom Lewis of Indy Corner was asked to Rick Carlisle in our, the pregame presser on Sunday, do you feel like as a coaching staff you guys have more confidence late in games, especially with your new roster? And Rick Carlisle said, yeah, we do. Right? And you could see it late in this Suns game. But then Booker scored because he's unguardable with 56 seconds to go. And Andrew Nemhard answered again. Nemhard did not get enough credit for this game. I'll have an Andrew Nemhard story up on Monday. He had six points in a minute and 11 seconds to take the Pacers from down four to tied with 48 seconds to go. Pacers forced another miss on Durant. And then top Obi Toppin on the ugliest possession ever scores the game-winning shot. The Pacers barely break down the Suns' defense. Matherin gets in the paint, misses a contested layup. Siakam rebound. The stories are there. Siakam, a week after the trade, game winner at home, five seconds left, and he missed the tip layup. It was no uncontested. But I will give Siakam credit. He fought to grab the board, and him coming across the rim to grab it actually tipped it away where it could fall to Obi Toppin, who then put in the game-winning layup. And Aaron Neesmith locked up Devin Booker on the last shot, and he missed. So Booker was going crazy. 50 points under three quarters, 29 in the first quarter. So much so that someone I asked to text me if there was a big event or an injury said, I'm doing this. <laughs> I'm doing this for points. And I appreciated it. And then I was keeping up even more with the game. It was crazy that the Pacers were able to win this game, figure out how to slow Booker, who had 10 points on 11 shots in the fourth quarter, and find enough offense to get it done. If you remember last week, I said, I think the Pacers can only win on one of the extremes. They defend like crazy and eke it out. Or they go nuts on offense and eke it out. And they went nuts on offense. Really big credit to the Pacers for doing that. Obi Toppin was tremendous. Absolutely fantastic. 23 points and 11 boards. Six of them were offensive boards. He had three assists. He had some nice kickouts off of those rebounds. He put them back himself. Didn't make a three and had 23 points. Awesome Obi Toppin game. They could hardly get him off the floor. He played the second most minutes of any Pacer against the Phoenix Suns. It was ridiculous how good he was. Andrew Demhart, who was great against Memphis. 22-8 and eight in this game. Only one turnover. Fantastic performance. He was brilliant again in this game. I thought Jalen Smith, after watching it, did not get enough love uh, from the internet people about his awesome game. They were down 10 when he came in in the first quarter. They were down three in about two seconds. He came in, bucket, rebound, block. He was physical all night, 13 and 10. He was great. And Pascal Siakam, the guy they trade for to be the star, to have the ball in his hands, to create, to Give them a chance in games like this. Did exactly that. 31, his his high as a pacer. Seven boards, four assists. Hitting shots from everywhere with Kevin Durant. This is his primary matchup. Aaron Neesmith was awesome with 22 points, hitting half of his threes. To beat the Suns, the Pacers had to hit an offensive gear that they have not hit without Tyrese Halberton very much this season. 133 for the Pacers in this game. No overtime, I should add. They needed all of it, right? They needed every single basket they could get. And that has not been something that's happened for them this season without Halliburton getting to 130-something, right? That Sacramento game that they won without him where their offense was clicking and Ben Mather was great at the bench and all that, they got to 126, right? The Miami game, they reached the 130s without Halliburton because they were 
ridiculous. I mean, completely insane unconscious from three. Usually, as you've been seeing in this homestand on the road trip, 115 is like a reasonable number for the Pacers in the stretch. They had an awesome offensive night, and everybody was rolling on that end of the floor. And Obi Toppin, this was one of his best games of the season at a key time on both ends as well. He wasn't even that atrocious on the defensive end, which has been an issue for him. So credit to the Pacers. They were playing the Suns, and Devin Booker was absolutely kicking their butt. I mean, they're... I might watch it again. It was insane, some of the shots he was making. The shot making from both teams in this game was truly bananas. 62-5-4 and four is a ridiculous deadline. They won his minutes. He played 38 minutes. But KD, you had 40 on them with no free throws less than a week before. Only had 20 this time. Bradley Beal, only 12 this time. Nurkic had two points in 20 minutes. Grayson Allen played a bunch and was fine. The Pacers did great on everybody else. Booker, and when it mattered, they figured out how to slow him down too, and to keep up with the Suns, which I thought was required for one of the ways of winning, they figured out how to score a bunch without Tyrese Halliburton. Pascal Siakam could create. Aaron Neesmith hit shots every time the ball came his way. Obi Toppin his shots every time the ball came his way. That was my first Obi Toppin observation in my notes. A lot of my notes were just like Booker and then a crazy word, <laughs> which is not good note-taking. He's four of my first eight notes. Uh, in this game are about Devin Booker. Uh, and then my Jalen Smith one uh, is the shot making was so crazy in this game. My first Obi Toppin note is Drew Eubanks on Obi. Suns with a five on Obi and Durant on Jalen Smith. And all of a sudden, every possession, Obi Toppin's either cutting, right, when Eubanks gets involved in a screen or he's involved in a screen, or he's spacing. And that all of a sudden makes the rim wide open or Toppin wide open. That adjustment, I get why the Suns did it, but it really helped the Pacers. And Obi Toppin did a wonderful job to take advantage of. And it's something the Suns kind of stuck with all night. Even at the end of the game, the most common matchups on Obi Toppin, none of them were forwards. It was all centers and all guards like Eric Gordon and Kata Bates-Diop. So big credit to Obi Toppin. He was really good in a game where the Suns tried to guard him gimmicky. And he said, I'm going to score. I'm going to make this a thing. And that is three straight for the Pacers, they beat a team on a six-game winning streak Thursday night. They beat a team on a seven-game winning streak Friday night. They beat a team with a three-game winning streak Sunday night. And now they themselves are on a three-game winning streak. A couple other guys I want to talk about from the weekend that was Ben Shepard, Jalen Smith. I think both of them deserve some love for their performances this weekend in two key games for this Pacers team. We will talk about both of them to close out today's show. But first, we have to talk about a new sponsor, Quiz with a few eyes. This episode of Locked On Pacers is brought to you by Quiz with three eyes. Today, we're going to have some fun and test your Pacers knowledge. Should be an easier one for you. Which player in Pacers franchise history holds the record for most points scored in a single game? Is it Paul George? Is it J.O.? Is it Reggie Miller? Perhaps if you picked Reggie Miller, congratulations. You are the winner. That is what Quiz is all about. Quiz with three eyes, the next generation trivia experience. It's the world's first platform where you can earn money playing knowledge games. And for Lockdown Pacers fans, they've created an NBA quiz where you can test your Pacers knowledge and win real cash. Play with friends or other fans. Let your knowledge shine all the way to the bank. You can play without downloading a thing. Just go to appapp.quiz.com and that quiz has three eyes. So it's appapp.quiiz.com. Start playing today. NBA quiz is the ultimate knowledge challenge for fans that live and breathe basketball. Answer the trivia asked to you. Have fun with it. You are going to love it. Go to app.quiz.com. Test your knowledge. Win cash today. That's quiz with three eyes, just like a three-pointer. Play now. Showcase your skills. Take home cash prizes. App.quiz.com, where fans become champions. 
Back here on Lockdown Pacers, thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day. Check out the great dudes over at Lockdown Grizzlies. That team is fun, man. I know their star power is is gone right now, but Jaron Jackson back in the, back in the hometown looked really good. Uh, still had some unguardable moments. Vince Williams looked awesome. They're scrappy. They have some guys I really liked in the drafts. And Joe Mullinax and Michael Cole will give you all you need to know on the Memphis Grizzlies. Pacers deserved an easier Grizzlies opponent after they had to play John Morant in one of the rare chances he played this year in Memphis for the home debut. That's as hard as it gets playing the Grizzlies this season. So the Pacers earned an easier one, and they got the win. Um, okay, Ben Shepard, I, I, he deserves so much praise right now. Ben Shepard has, I talked about this already, come in and kind of been a, an interesting revelation for the Pacers of late. I mean, they're playing him every game. He's in the rotation every night. The big thing, I mentioned this last week, is this stood out to me. The Pacers assigned Friday Jarris Walker to the G League and not Ben Shepard. That was the first time that that's happened all season where it was one and not the other. And that's because Shepard is now in the Pacers rotation every single game because of his defense, his energy there. I asked Rick Carlisle when the first time he noticed that was, he started talking about the pre-draft process, right? They had a, the, When he came in for his three-on-three session with other Draft prospects, Ben Shepard shined not on with his not just with his shooting and offensive abilities, which stood out at Belmont and, and a lot of other places, but his defense was really good then, right? So they had this idea that this could be a thing, and he was a four-year guy. But now you're really seeing it these last couple weeks for the Pacers. And I, I, you know, I said last week I think he's in their best defensive five, but he's had two games in a row, right? The Suns game, Ben Shepard one for four from the field, two rebounds, two assists. But he's fine. They're not getting killed in his minutes because his defensive energy is crazy. He's everywhere. His instincts are awesome. He's always facing the play. He always is recovering while he's fast. He's really fast. And so he can guard three positions. And he's not messing up that much. And it's really impressive that he can have two, two, and two in 18 minutes. And it's a great choice. Memphis today, yesterday for you listening, two for six, although the two makes were threes. Six points, one assist, one steal, and they broke even in his 20 minutes, right? Like, in a game where the bench is so depleted, you know, they didn't have Miles or Tyrese or TJ McConnell in this game for that matter. They need him to step up in a game like that, and he did. And so he's had a breakout these last couple weeks. They've needed him, you know, with Buddy Shot not falling, with Bruce Brown not on the team, all sorts of stuff. They've been turning to Ben Shepard more often, and he's really made that uh, look like the right choice. I mean, he's, he's defending so well. Uh, on the season right now, Ben Shepard on the court, the Pacers' defensive rating is 116.96. When he's off the floor, it's 121.08. So a little over a four-point difference there. Now the offensive rating swing is similar in the opposite direction. It's about minus minus four. So their net rating with Shepard off is still a little higher than when he's on, but the fact that he has this clear defensive impact already that's so noticeable and shows up in the numbers is really impressive to me, and it is not a fluke. I mean, he can fly around. He can guard lots of guys. He's been a disruptor in a key way for this team. I think in, until they're healthy, he's certainly going to keep this rotation spot, and when he is, I mean, when they are, and they have their top 11, 10, whatever, that maybe they try. I mean, he's a rookie who looks comfortable, who can defend. That is someone you maybe invest in. So the shot has not come around, right? That has been the thing. Is he was supposed to be a shooter coming out of Belmont. I was at the draft combine when he was just lights out as a shooter, right? That's kind of what started his ascent of draft boards. So I think he will be a good shooter, but he hasn't been yet. So it's hard to imagine this, but like, could they have lucked into a 3 and D player at 26? We'll see. Entering 
uh, Sunday, he was at 27.9% from three. But they might have just gotten a defender, a good defender who's 6'6". You can't complain about that if you are the Pacers. Jalen Smith... He's the other guy I want to talk about who also had a really good weekend. He was the guy I thought that between both games, maybe Andrew Nimhard, had the best collective weekend for the Pacers. Against the Suns, his old team, like I said, I think I felt Jalen Smith's impact more than anyone right when he came in. Right, He came in, scored, rebound, block instantly. This is his old team, hitting shots. The offensive rebounds were really important. I think his first three offensive rebounds were him grabbing a shot and immediately scoring. And he had a double-double, 13-10. and 10. That was huge. For the Pacers, one of their only double-doubles, Obi Toppin, of course, being the other one. And then two nights later, not against his former team, but still, 30 minutes against the Grizzlies. 8 for 13, hit half his threes. It's such a reliable weapon for him this year. Another double-double, this time the only Pacer with a double-double. Two blocks. It's just, it's really impressive that he's able to step up into these bigger roles when Turner can't go as long or Turner can't play at all. And they need someone to be reliable at the five. I mean, this is a different player than last year. Jalen, I mean, some of it's just the shot falling, but he is so much more confident in every way that he can play two different roles in the same weekend and fill them both extremely well, both on the offensive and defensive end in a meaningful way. I thought, again, he was maybe the most consistent contributor game to game. Andrew Nemhart has a case for that, but Jalen Smith really deserves a lot of credit for what he's been able to do this season and then again into this weekend when the Pacers had two tougher opponents in town. Speaking of tougher opponents, Tuesday night, Pacers wrap up their January schedule with the Celtics in Boston on TNT. There it is, the big one, uh, the only nationally televised scheduled game to open the season for the Pacers. I suppose it could change before the season ends. We'll see if Tyrese Halliburton plays. We'll find out more at practice Monday, so stay tuned for that. So tomorrow, we'll talk the latest on Halliburton. If he's coming back, we'll look at back at some stats without him and see what we've learned about the Pacers. We will talk about the Celtics and plenty more about this Pacers team. Looking forward to all of that. Uh, as I speak to end this, James Johnson's 10-day contract is expiring on the 29th, so perhaps we have more roster stuff and minutia to talk about tomorrow as well if they decide to bring him back right away. We'll see, and you know we'll break down all of it. Halliburton's return, the Celtics, James Johnson, if Halliburton returns. All that stuff on tomorrow's show. Plenty to come. Hope you guys enjoyed today's show and had a wonderful weekend. Uh, back tomorrow, like I said, talking all that stuff, Celtics, and plenty more. Thank y'all for listening. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you soon.